time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Time to chat with Charles Weldy once again, founder of CP Weldy Group here on the Re-Engineering Your Finances podcast. I'm Walter Storholt. And Charles, we've got another great episode on tap today. You ready to talk some social security? Absolutely. <laughs> One of the important topics of the financial world, right? I mean, I don't think anybody, any of your clients are probably living off of just social security as their retirement plan, but would you agree it's still an important part of everybody that comes in and meets with you? Absolutely. Yeah. In the past, there was a three-legged stool. That was the concept. One of the legs was social security. The second leg, which is not really prevalent for like two-thirds of the population, is a pension. And the third is really living off your investment earnings. So that's the three-legged stool. And no matter how much wealth you have, social security is definitely very important. So it's one of those legs. Even if today's world, is it really more of like a four or five-legged stool with all of the options and opportunities that are out there these days or do you still kind of think the three stool is a good visual i think it's three i mean okay. you know obviously the investment income can come from like some subsets of various uh, you know legs but by and large it's a three-legged stool you know what is guaranteed and what is not guaranteed it's a three-legged stool with some decorations on it How about that no. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. <laughs> All right. Well, one of those stools, obviously, again, is Social Security. Now, here's the thing. There are a lot of myths, rumors, and misunderstandings that have really become quite pervasive in the world of Social Security. So on today's show, we're going to look to clear up five of those misunderstandings about Social Security. Sure, we can call them the top five Social Security myths or misunderstandings if we want to put a number to it. So the first one, Charles, may have a little bit of truth to it, but it's more so the interpretation of this that maybe gets blown out of proportion. I don't know. I'm interested in your thoughts on this, but there's a sentiment that Social Security is going broke. And I'll kind of add to that that because of that, it's going to disappear and go away. Well, you know, I've read that too, or, you know, heard that rumor too, but let's face it. I mean, you know, if social security is going to go broke, they'll find a way to fix it. And there's definitely ways of fixing social security. So the first thing is, let's think about it. Any politician that ever wanted to vote for a reduction in social security benefits probably would be voted out of office or wouldn't make it to office. There's roughly 76 million baby boomers that, you know, spent their whole life paying payroll taxes. And now it's coming time for them to, you know, deliver on their social security check, and they're not gonna tolerate uh, any decrease in social security benefits. So the fact that social security is going broke can be fixed in a number of ways, Walter. The first one is you know, they can increase the full retirement age. I think currently it's 67. They could make it all the way up to age 70. Now, you know, will they do that overnight? No, but it's a possibility that as people live longer that they'll raise the minimum uh, age rates a little longer to have people collect money uh, not as quickly. So they can increase the full retirement age, say from 67 to whatever they want, but let's just call it 70 for now. The second thing that they're doing as we're speaking is every year they're increasing the payroll taxes. Now they're not increasing the payroll tax rate, but what they're doing is they're increasing the wage base that's subject to social security taxation. I remember not too long ago it was somewhere in 90,000 a year, if you made over 90,000 a year, your social security tax was capped. You didn't have to pay any more tax. Now I think it's all the way up to 130 some thousand dollars. So each year they'll increase that depending upon what their income need is. And the higher earning taxpayers will pay a higher tax, which will help the social security fund, maybe not tremendously, but at least, uh, you know, that's a fix. 
The third item, I think, uh, in terms of like uh, why Social Security is not going to go broke is that they can tax up to 100% of the Social Security benefits. So think about it. You get $36,000 a year in Social Security. Let's just say that you're in the 20% uh, tax bracket. And if they make 100% of your Social Security taxable, basically one-fifth of 36, seven or $8,000 is going to be subject to taxes. So they can take that money back, maybe one, one and a half Social Security checks in the form of higher taxes. So uh, right now, up to 85% of your Social Security is taxable and maybe as low as 50% could be taxable depending upon your income. I don't see a problem or I don't see the government hesitating about increasing how much of your Social Security would be taxable in the future to alleviate this potential shortfall. And then lastly, you know, uh, the government, the federal government can print money. So, you know, if we have these huge deficits and they've been known to do it in the past, they'll just print money, which makes our money less attractive because of the inflation. But they'd rather do that than actually like send a letter to each and every Social Security recipient saying, oh, excuse me, we're going broke in the year 2032 and we have to decrease your check by 15, 20 percent. So I think it's a myth. Social Security is not going to go broke. They're going to find ways of fixing it, even if it comes at the 11th hour. It has its flaws, but not so much to where you shouldn't, uh, you know, run around worried that that leg of the stool is going to fall off. Absolutely. Okay. That's uh, definitely the biggest misunderstanding, I think, about Social Security. There's a lot of fear that enters the conversation when people started talking about it going broke. Another misunderstanding, Charles, is that starting Social Security as early as possible is usually the best way to go. You know, you paid into the system, might as well start taking it as fast as you can. Well, I hear that. And, you know, again, there's no right or wrong answer. But if you started your Social Security at age 62 and lived to be 92, is that the best strategy? And I would say no, because when you do the math, maybe in your early 80s, mid 80s is the crossover point. You would have a lot more money in your family's pocket by delaying than taking it at age 62. Another thing that people don't realize is that if you're still working at 62, there's an earnings test. You can't make any more than round numbers, maybe $16,000, $17,000 a year. And if you make more than that, you have to start giving some of your Social Security benefit back. So that's a concern. Also, that Social Security may be subject to income taxes. And, uh, you know, if you're still working, even if you're under that earnings test and uh, you have to get back maybe one Social Security check in the form of tax payments, is it really worth it to take it sooner rather than later? Uh, and then lastly, if you plan on doing Roth conversions where you might have a retirement account that's subject to taxation when you take the money out, if you delay your Social Security and your Social Security was $25,000, $30,000 a year, you'll have $25,000, $30,000 a year to do Roth conversions that you probably would have paid the same tax had you just taken your Social Security at age 62. So, you know, I guess really the answer is, you know, it really depends on how long you think you're going to live, what your income situation is, you know, do you have a large or small or average retirement account? It's really a mirror of a lot of factors, not just one. Big point to make there, I think, Charles, is uh, that, yeah, who knows if you're going to be right? We're not going to really know if you're right until after you pass away. And at that point, okay, well, who really cared at that point? So you're, you're not going to care at that point. So Absolutely. yes, we want to try and get the most optimal choice. 
but at the same time, don't pull your hair out trying to figure out what is going to be the best for you, at least in terms of sweating. Oh, but if I make the wrong choice, oh, I'll be kicking myself forever because you're only going to really know if you're wrong until pretty late into retirement or, you know, again, after you've passed away, maybe uh, but you can push back on that if you want. I just kind of see this debate because the third misunderstanding is basically the opposite, that there's the other end of the spectrum of folks that say, no, you got to delay Social Security as long as you can because that's the best way to go to maximize. So there's a lot of fretting about that, you know, when to take it. And kind of like you said, eh, it's hard to tell if you're right until later on. Yeah, well, I'll go with the, uh, you know, delaying Social Security to age 70. I mean, if you delayed your Social Security to age 70 and you died at like 73, is that the best strategy? And, you know, I would say for most people, it probably isn't. But one thing, Walter, that I think a lot of people aren't aware of or maybe they don't know all the facts is that when you're married, if you passed away and you had a large Social Security benefit and your spouse had a smaller one, the smaller one's going to disappear and a larger one will, you know, take the place of the smaller one. So again, you know, if I have a married couple and um, one of them's in really good health and maybe the other one isn't in such a good health and there's really not an income need, I might opt to have, um, you know, the higher earning spouse delay their social security benefit because I'm really protecting two lives, not just one. And again, there's no right or wrong answer. It really has to do with, are you married? Are you still working? What's the tax consequences? Are you going to do some Roth conversions? What's the future tax rates look like? It's a combination of all those factors. And um, you know, there's various software programs out there that can aid you in making a decision, but it all really reverts to, hey, what age you think you're going to pass away? And are you married? And what age you think your spouse is going to pass away? So it's definitely uh, a different conversation for a married couple versus singles. There's some other layers and considerations to take into account. Absolutely. I mean, I'll tell you a a personal story is uh, they just changed the rules maybe a couple of years ago. And it used to be that um, if you claimed that full retirement age, like let's just say myself at 66, if I claim my full social security benefit and suspended it, that would allow my wife, who's a couple of years younger than me, to get half of my benefit for up to like, you know, four or five years until I took my benefit at age 70. And then she might get a higher benefit. So uh, the point I'm making is I qualify. Our family lost like about $1,500 a month for 48 months, which really is about $60,000 because the Social Security rules changed. They changed this delaying strategy. Now, for my wife to get half of my Social Security benefit, I have to be on Social Security. And uh, the way it looks right now, I'm probably going to delay until age 70. So she's going to take a very reduced benefit based on her earnings uh, until I start collecting. And then she'll be able to get half of what I would have gotten at age 66. So um, maybe like a long-winded answer, but believe me, they changed the social security rules. I don't know for the better, but it just seemed like the Weldy family uh, lost $60,000 on that particular change. And I'm not very happy about Mm. it. Yeah, well, it's a good example to illustrate sort of how also things can change, right? We talked about that at the beginning of this podcast and Social Security broke and what may happen from that. I have a feeling we're not done seeing those types of changes, right? It may be a few more years and then you'll see things getting moved around again and strategies changing and all those kinds of things. So Social Security also isn't this sort of uh, this rock, you know, it's not going to just stay the same and in the same place. It's right. going to be one, rolling one around. One thing I, I didn't talk to earlier about with the Social Security changing is, hey, if you're, you know, say under 55 or, you know, maybe like in your early 50s or younger, you know, there could be a whole revamping of the social security system. Uh, I've, I've 
had some readings on that. And, you know, they might allow you to take a certain portion of what normally goes into the Social Security fund and invest it in a private account that you own. That might be a potential solution. But by and large, I mean, there are fixes out there. And I, I would say anybody 55 and older, from what I've read and what I believe in, uh, you know, we're going to go with the old system, the current system. Anybody like under 55, there might be some changes and the changes might be there might be a little bit more money allocated to a self-directed account that they can control the taxpayer. Well, Charles, let's talk about advice when it comes to Social Security. There's a misunderstanding here where a lot of people think, OK, I go down to the SSA, the uh, Social Security Administration, and they'll help me choose the best strategy for myself. Well, actually, we have a client that worked for Social Security all his life. He retired a couple of years ago, and I used to use him as a resource, you know, when I had Social Security questions. And to be candid with you, the guy's a great guy. He's been with the Social Security Administration his whole career, and he didn't always have the right answers. So I'm not here to knock the Social Security Administration, but I'm here to say that not just myself and my situation with this particular client of mine that worked for Social Security, but I have other advisors that I'm affiliated with that sent their clients to the SSA office and uh, they didn't get the answers that we thought they would get. So I would just say this, you know, it, you have to go to the Social Security office to put in your claim, but don't rely on their advice. Go to a professional, whether it's a certified financial planner or someone that's a Social Security specialist, just to verify the information that you're getting. Because once you make that decision, I think you have like 12 months and it's irrevocable. You better make the right decision for yourself and your family. So go to an expert and the people that work at Social Security, although they may know the rules, they have various positions and uh, I'm not even sure they're allowed or qualified to give advice. So uh, again, buyer beware, just make sure that before you make the ultimate decision on when to collect, uh, that you speak to a professional, someone that's, uh, you know, schooled in this particular, you know, uh, social security rules and regulations. It reminds me of uh, getting advice on your 401k and how you, a lot of people think that you could just go to the person that administers your 401k at work and get investment advice from them. And they can talk to you about, you know, what a Roth contribution means versus a non-Roth contribution and some of the basic level things like that, but they can't really give you any sort of investment advice, right? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Kind of a, a good comparison there. All right. Last but not least, Charles, one more social security misunderstanding that we see. It, it comes back to the tax uh, conversation. And, you know, I know that you are uh, are the tax man. You started as a CPA in the 70s and uh, then transitioned into being a financial advisor and planner as well. But you specialize in creating tax efficient retirement plans. Do you see people with that misunderstanding when it comes to social security? They, they don't think it's taxable? Yeah, some people you know don't think it's taxable. Other people think it's fully taxable, but it, they have special rules for the taxation of Social Security, Walter. What they do is they take your gross Social Security benefit and divide it by two. So if you have, say, 25000 in Social Security and uh, a spouse has 15, let's just call it 40 total, divide it by two, right away, half of that money now goes into a formula to determine how much of your Social Security is going to be taxable. So in that example, you're starting with 25 and 15 is 40 gross Social Security benefit divided by two is $20,000. Now what we're going to do is we're going to add all your other income. Do you have any W-2 wages? Do you have any interest in dividends? Do you have any capital gain? Do you have any pensions? Do you have any rental income? And when you add that together with the half of the Social Security benefit, if it's over 25000 and you're single, then a portion of your Social Security benefit could be taxable, maybe as much as 50 to 85%. If it's over 32000 
which is only $7,000 more than a single person, married people's Social Security will be subject to taxation, maybe as little as 50% of the benefit, but maybe as high as 85% of the benefit. So it's really important to look at your overall situation in retirement. And where I think we shine as financial planners is we try to make Social Security taxation zero on all of our clients. Obviously, if someone has a large pension or someone has a great rental property, that might not be feasible. But uh, a lot of people that have this money in their retirement account accumulating until they're seven and a half, there might be an opportunity to start taking that money out strategically over the years so that eventually when they do take money out, it's less because they've gotten some of it into a Roth and the account balance in their traditional account is a lot less. And uh, when you do the formula, the math formula, it's under the $25,000 threshold for single people and under the $32,000 threshold for married people. And even though it looks like they don't, really don't have that much income, the fact is that most of their income is tax-free and it makes their social security benefit tax-free. So I'll just finish with this. I've read cases where if you can make your social security benefit tax-free, you can have the same amount of income, but it's probably going to last like three to five years longer just because of the taxation on that social security benefit, which I think is huge for a lot of people. All of these pieces are important to consider. That's why it's one of the three legs of that retirement planning stool. And so if you have been believing in some of these misunderstandings or you haven't had a great grasp on Social Security and you haven't talked to Charles Weldy before, uh, reach out, give him a call, have a conversation with him about your situation and maybe how you can improve some of those areas. It's easy to get in touch. You can do it the old-fashioned way. Pick up the phone and give a call to 610-388-7705. Again, 610-388-7705. Or find Charles online, of course, at cpweldygroup.com. That's cpweldygroup.com. We'll put the links and the information that we talked about on today's show in the show notes or the uh, description of today's episode. So just check there and you'll see the link to the website and the phone number to call. Yeah, Charles also has an office in Chad's Ford PA on Route 52 if you want to come into the office and say hello. Charles, thanks for all the help on today's show. Really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for uncovering some of these misunderstandings for us and setting the record straight. We'll look forward to another good show with you next time around. Thank you, Walter. Really appreciate your time and expertise. We enjoyed it as always. Thank you, Charles, for being with us. And thank you for listening to the show today. We'll talk to you next time right back here on the Reengineering Your Finances podcast. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.